A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today we're going to take into a, a little dive into um, social history uh, during the, uh, the period of Stalinism. Um, I, I find this fascinating, the uh, impact of uh, these massive, uh, often traumatic transitions um, that you find in authoritarian societies, be they Stalinist or fascist or, or what have you, that the impact that that has on family life, um, the way in which men and women uh, behave towards uh, one another, the way in which children are brought up, the way in which uh, the circumstances in which uh, families uh, exist. Um, and we're going to look uh, again at Sheila Fitzpatrick's Everyday Stalinism um, today and look at the question of uh, family life and principally uh, of the uh, the behaviour of absconding husbands during the Stalin era. And Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, The early 1930s were a period of great disruption and upheaval in Soviet society. Thus, it is not surprising that the family was shaken too just as it had been during the Civil War. Millions of men left home during collectivisation. Some kept in touch with their families in the village, others did not. Divorce was easy. One urban respondent in the Harvard Project, the Harvard Project was um, a series of interviews that ran from 1951 to 1953, interviewing Soviet emigres, those who in one way or another had managed to leave the Soviet Union um, uh, one uh, respondent um, discussed, uh, mentioned in the 1930s there being an epidemic of divorces um, and in any case there had been no pressure to register marriages. The incredible difficulty of urban housing conditions forced families into miserably confined spaces and contributed to the high rate of desertion by husbands, especially after the birth of a child. Almost 10 million women entered the labour market for the first time in the course of the 1930s and many of them ended up as the sole breadwinner for families that consisted of a mother, one or two children and the irreplaceable babushka or grandmother who ran the household. The task of, women, of the woman breadwinner was not made easier by the fact that women tend to be clustered in low-skilled and low-paying jobs. So, there is um, a direct uh, economic um, impact on families uh, throughout the, pro the, the twin process of collectivisation in the countryside and uh, forced industrialisation, state-led industrialisation 
in the towns and cities. Rapid industrialization uh, in many places that it's been tried throughout the world very often leads to uh, slum conditions. Towns and cities that um, develop new industries act like magnets to uh, a rural population who move there as quickly as possible in order to uh, access um, better standards of employment, better paid employment, um, and imagine that they will access better living conditions. But the very factor that normally even the most proactive, even the most um, involved uh, activist state uh, finds it difficult um, without significant run-up uh, in terms of house building to provide enough new flats, apartments, um, uh, even barracks in some cases, it means that one either has, uh, as you get in certain parts of the developing world, uh, shanty towns emerging, or in the case of the Soviet Union, uh, ever greater concentrations of people crammed into housing blocks um, and crammed into um, the homes which were originally designed for one family. The uh, Bolsheviks began the uh, tradition of socialising all housing uh, immediately after the revolution, but this is continued by Stalin, of uh, uh, cramming in as many families as possible. It served a number of purposes. It meant that there was no privacy, and privacy was seen as a particularly bad thing by the regime. Privacy was a state in which one could uh, have subversive conversations or hidden secret conversations uh, or not be overheard. And also it meant that um, there was a, a, a focus on uh, enjoying or, or accessing public space so people's leisure time might be spent in uh, a more communal environment. And this was a, a way of kind of emphasising the collective over the private or the individual. But the reality, more than anything else, was that um, building uh, factories uh, and railways and mines and dams was important for the regime. Providing uh, accommodation for the workers was much, much less of a priority. And this is entirely contradictory with the uh, period of the second five-year plan, where Stalin wanted to focus more on living standards and the idea that uh, life had become more joyous, comrades. Now, the difficulties that most families faced were compounded by families that uh, had a social stigma attached to them. And if you go back in previous podcasts, I've talked a lot uh, about um, how uh, families... Um, were associated with the uh, social or political or ideological sins of, of their parents, um, how people with Kulak backgrounds or um, former people backgrounds, i.e. those who'd been a part of the bourgeoisie or the upper classes or the church or the army or the Tsarist administration before the revolution, how those people... Um, their family history followed them around and it was very difficult to falsify records and quite risky um, uh, to, to bury one's past. Um, children might be sent away to protect them from the, the taint of uh, poor, uh, poor family histories. So you might send them to a relative that has kind of dodged that bullet rather. 
Um, or they might feel obliged to, some of the children often felt obliged to keep their distance from their own parents uh, for, for much the same reason. Children that wanted to be in the Young Pioneers or the Komsomol or who wanted not to be victimised at school. Um, deportations and exiles sometimes uh, actually kept families together whether they wanted it or not. Um, but often, um, one or more family members would manage to kind of escape the sentence. So mothers and fathers might be sent away, children might be left behind, or elder siblings might be, uh, be left behind. And one surefire way to do this was to denounce parents. Uh, the story of Pavlik Moritsov um, that becomes almost like a, a folk tale in Soviet Russia is a key example. For those that haven't heard the story before, uh, comrade Pavlik um, was uh, a, a young pioneer who denounced his father. His father was uh, sent away um, to hard labour in the Gulag. And uh, Pavlik, before he could be uh, rewarded by the state, was murdered by angry relatives. And the story was told through Soviet media as the martyrdom of a good Soviet citizen, not as a kind of a a uh, loathsome, ghastly child who had uh, sent his father off to a, life, a lifetime of torment, uh, but that count, evil counter-revolutionaries had murdered this child who had placed um, the collective, the state uh, and society beyond uh, the own self, his own selfish needs to um, have, have parents and who saw um, the wider collective as the, the, the real uh, kind of social body to which he belonged. Um, so Pavlik Moritsov was seen, uh, um, presented uh, as a hero. I'm not entirely sure how many uh, Soviet citizens uh, genuinely sympathised with him. My guess is probably not all that many. So uh, families were torn to shreds by the purges, which um, often either left um, uh, deaths in the family or um, family members stigmatised um, and associated with being uh, enemies of the people. Often when male um, party members or um, victims of the purges were denounced, their wives would be sent to the camps. Perhaps the husband would be executed and the wives would be sent to the camps um, on the belief that, well, they must have been having similar sorts of conversations secretly and privately um, whilst they were married. The children in question would either be farmed out to relatives or sent to Soviet orphanages, which is a particularly unpleasant fate uh, for the children uh, that went there. Uh, they would often have their, their names um, changed, uh, perhaps if they were too young to remember who their real parents were. And uh, one could only imagine what a terribly traumatic experience for children uh, that must have been. Sheila Fitzpatrick presents a different view of Soviet society, however, from this kind of conventional model. She says, There's another side to the story, namely the resilience of the family. At the most basic level, people continued to get married. The Soviet urban marriage rates remained very high by both pre-war and contemporary European standards, especially assuming that not all the de facto marriages were registered. In 1937, 91% of all men aged 30 to 39 and 82% of women reported themselves married. 
In some respects, the uncertain and dangerous conditions of life in the 1930s seemed to make uh, families stronger as their members drew closer together for self-protection. The Soviet Union is a mass of individual family units isolated from each other, one Harvard project respondent from the intelligentsia said. Families are not broken up, rather they try to draw close to each other. We lived separately before, but after the revolution we all came together, said another respondent from the same social group. We talked freely, only in our own family. In difficult times we came together. So this idea of speaking freely, um, Orlando Feige's book The Whisperers is uh, all about the idea that in the Soviet society, in everyday life in uh, the Soviet Union, people whispered um, to make sure the neighbours didn't hear, uh, but they also um, whispered to one another uh, as a kind of act of intimacy, of uh, uh, passing together um, uh, inf ideas that perhaps the state didn't like very much. Um, and here, uh, in a similar vein, Sheila Fitzpatrick is talking about the idea that in the family unit, the family unit was the, the one place where one could trust, where one, one cannot allow oneself to um, trust uh, anybody else outside the family. But families actually gel together more, more closely because that's where secrets and ideas and beliefs um, can be uh, openly articulated. So this is precisely um, the opposite of uh, what the regime uh, initially, uh, in the post-revolutionary years, the immediate post-revolutionary years, wanted. Uh, initially, uh, Lenin saw the family as being uh, a bourgeois institution, a product of uh, bourgeois class relations, and something that would eventually be uh, unnecessary. Uh, eventually, men and women would live in dormitories and children would be brought up in creches, and a new kind of uh, proletarian uh, organisation for uh, human beings uh, would emerge, and it would be kind of uh, more rational and more suited to in, to industrial life, really more suited to um, the extraction of labour from workers. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And the um, anticipated end of the family uh, was uh, more part of a kind of regimentation of individuals uh, uh, in the interests of uh, extracting labour from them uh, more than, uh, than anything else. Um, any kind of emancipatory part of uh, the, the Bolshevik programme seems uh, by this measure to have been dead uh, by about 1919. Um, the, uh, the irony here is, of course, the repression of the state made families stronger units um, and made um, families more likely to be more, more resilient. The Harvard project uh, revealed that the families of uh, the intelligentsia uh, seemed to um, coalesce more closely together. But the families of blue-collar workers um, were less likely to do that. And the reason why is possibly that the problems of poverty that were met by um, almost all strata of Soviet society, except for those who were in the higher echelons of the party during the 1930s, uh, were less of uh, were more um, uh, likely to impact on um, uh, industrial working class families, and those families, uh, the tensions of poverty, uh, perhaps created obstacles to family cohesion uh, during that time. Um, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes: "There's no doubt that the impact of Soviet conditions on the family could be contradictory. Consider the example." Uh, of uh, Stefan Podlupny, son of a dekulakized Ukrainian peasant who went to Moscow with his mother after his father's arrest at the beginning of the 1930s. Podlupny um, was extremely close to his mother, with whom he lived, and felt a great loyalty to her. When she was arrested in 1937, his faith in the Soviet regime was seriously shaken. With his father, it was the opposite. They were pulled apart not only geographically, but also psychologically, as Podlubny tried to make himself into a good Soviet citizen and push his father and his father's anger out of mind. So I suppose in, in that particular case, it does depend on what the familial relations were like in the first place. Um, a, a weak connection with the father or a uh, fear of the father or fear or a relationship that is perhaps damaging or harmful a parental relationship that's perhaps damaging or harmful might be um, uh, changed by state intervention i.e. the the arrest of a a father on supposed political crimes Uh, that actually might be greeted with some degree of enthusiasm by family members there's a really interesting study uh, in uh, the Third Reich at War by Richard J. Evans, in which he uh, discusses uh, the means by which uh, often uh, unhappy marriages uh, came to an end uh, through the use of denunciation, that um, wives who were fed up with their husbands would simply tell the Gestapo that the husband had been saying uh, defeatist things about Germany at war or had been uh, ridiculing the Führer. Um, when you have the state as a, as a major actor 
in the lives of individuals. Individuals will, of course, use the state in all manner of ways. Um, they may uh, choose to cooperate in the way that the, the state intended, or they may kind of subvert state repression to their own ends by through denunciation. Divorce was a key part of uh, survival strategies um, in order to ensure that one partner who might be uh, likely to be denounced uh, would then not be responsible for the well-being or the uh, ideological uh, behaviour of, of another. Um, if one partner is denounced, the other can say, well, look, I divorced him or I divorced her years ago, and the reason I did was because, and they could invent this part, say, well, uh, I knew they had counter-revolutionary ideas and I didn't like them very much, so that's why I got rid of them. Often these divorced couples were perfectly happy and, and lived together, um, they had just uh, formally kind of dissolved their marriage to protect themselves. And in many cases, at least one sp uh, spouse survived if the other was arrested about, about 1937 or 1938. Families would have uh, several generations uh, within them cohabiting uh, during the 1930s. Um, there would often be um, based around uh, a matriarchy with several generations of women as the, uh, the core of the family uh, in terms of family organisation, the management of money, the care of children and the, the management of male behaviour, uh, ensuring that there was not um, too much alcohol or violence um, or philandering or any of these other things uh, that um, the uh, that men might possibly be guilty of doing um, in uh, difficult family circumstances. In a family uh, situation where several generations might exist in one uh, apartment to be crammed in, there might be uh, aunts and uh, uncles uh, and uh, other distant relatives, there might only be one legal resident of the apartment. One person is actually allowed to live there uh, and the rest are simply relatives who have uh, found it convenient to, to squeeze in. Uh, in these circumstances, uh, there was either immense conflict for scarce resources, space and that kind of thing within the family, or there was a great deal of kind of cooperation and a sense of uh, shared ownership or kind of communality uh, in the face of adversity. Often the families will be top-heavy with women because it was more likely that men would be arrested, sent away, um, uh, the victims of um, either some sort of uh, police action mounting up to the, the Great Purge, or possibly some kind of deportation, uh, decularization, something like that. Not to say that significant numbers of women weren't involved in that, but it was uh, disproportionately men who were uh, affected. You were more likely uh, to be uh, deported or arrested if you were male. The um, views of the family um, that the revolutionary intelligentsia brought with them into government following the October Revolution. Um, the rejection of the family as being a kind of like a bourgeois institution and these sort of more bohemian attitudes towards sex, sexuality, um, towards women's rights to choose what they do with their own bodies. These uh, begin to kind of dry up in the mid-1920s 
Um, Lenin was um, far less the kind of uh, libertarian uh, than uh, some kind of uh, some of his supporters have implied. Um, far more often, the uh, there was a kind of a great deal of social conservatism that uh, existed um, amongst the uh, the Bolsheviks, um, and the the brief period of, of sexual liberation did not survive into the nineteen thirties. There were um, many women within the party that believed in gender equality and saw uh, gender oppression as part of class struggle, which is uh, kind of a fairly um, a reasonable position to take. But for the, the wider population, attitudes towards gender did not significantly change in the post-revolutionary years. There was some tension between uh, the... Uh, idea put forward by um, Soviet education and the uh, Komsomol and the Young Pioneers that there was something shameful about being an uneducated woman or growing up from being a, a girl without an education to being a woman who was simply a, a housewife uh, and not becoming uh, a uh, someone who um, learned and worked for the new state and society. And the reality of um, not only pre-existing social conservatism within Russia, but also a kind of um, a focus on family values that actually emerges uh, during the 1930s, where um, the idea of um, the uh, Soviet woman at home as the domestic homemaker uh, becomes more and more popular and, and more and more important in Stalin's eyes uh, as one of the kind of the linchpins of social stability. In the later years of the 1920s, um, there was active campaign against abortion. Um, and there were uh, unfavourable noises about divorce uh, that were made by Stalin in uh, Pravda and the uh, other organs of the, the Soviet press. Um, and certainly uh, sexual uh, promiscuity and sexual liberation uh, were seen as being uh, fundamentally uh, bad things. Um, Soviet uh, laws on divorce, alimony, property rights and inheritance were um, all based on um, ideas uh, around uh, family mutual responsibility, that families should actually stay together to look after one another. So by the late 1920s and early 1930s, the original ideas of breaking families up in the interests of social revolution had almost been completely expunged. Uh, and now social conservatism was what would um, determine um, the, the legal standing of the family. But the economics of family life, the shortages, the housing shortages, um, having to cram people into ever smaller amounts of accommodation in order to survive. That is what would create the social reality of Soviet family life. Anyway, I hope you found this interesting and useful. Normally, I would say, do remember to subscribe to the podcast or follow us on Patreon or anything like that. Please don't. Just go and do one thing for me today. If you are listening here in the UK or, you know, wherever you are in the world, but particularly here in the UK, please register to vote. If you don't register to vote, 
then the kind of conditions that I've just been describing in this podcast will, uh, not the purchase, but certainly the housing shortages and the miseries of everyday life will be visited upon us very, very soon. Please register to vote and cast your vote wisely. Go and do it today. You, uh, if you go to .gov.uk, it takes a couple of minutes. Thanks very much, and I'll keep badgering on about that for the next couple of weeks until December the 12th. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.